Amen. Good morning, church. Hey. Great to be together out here. Beautiful weather God's given us. Thank you. Uh, a special thanks to our song leaders up here doing it every Sunday for us. Uh, we're super grateful for them. And also, uh, it's great to have the Hirschmans up here. Uh, Greg and Nicole, thanks for sharing and your vulnerability. And uh, Nicole just got back from New York hitting the, sh- hitting the road on a show, right? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. We do appreciate your vulnerability and and how you've navigated a lot of challenges this these last year and a half been a shining example of of that true identity that you have in Christ Nicole specifically I really appreciate you um, and I do want to uh, I know she's not prepared for this but there's a white car behind us all right here and it is uh, it is Jackie's car and I do want to uh, have everybody turn around and uh, say hello to uh, to Jackie we love you we're praying for you as uh, she continues to undergo treatment, we love you. Great to see your face. I can see you the whole time right here. So this is exciting. Amen. And to all you guys on Facebook uh, or joining us later, we're, we're glad. Okay, this is part two of last Sunday. So if you weren't with us, um, I went long and cut it short. So I have two pages of notes here for our sermon today. Uh, the title of my lesson this morning is out of Acts chapter 4. And you can be flipping over there. The wind might do it for you. Acts 4, starting in verse 12, title lesson today is, is boldly know and boldly to boldly go. Boldly know to boldly go. And the context, uh, last Sunday's sermon was, was where Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, the, uh, the leadership group there of the great high priest and the 70 elders that accompanied him. And uh, he had just been preaching on the, on the Temple Mount as he healed the man at the beautiful gates. And 5,000 people are noted there in the scripture here. In verse 4, to have come to believe from the message Peter preached, seizing that opportunity to preach when people are amazed that this man who had been born lame is now walking and jumping and praising and entering the temple. So he's there, and Peter takes the moment to preach, and it's quite the disturbance to those who are in power. So, of course, they try to come and uh, interrupt him and try to keep him from speaking. So we're going to learn a little bit there practically today as what we can glean from this text. But... Let's read it together in verse 12. Boldly know so you can boldly go. It says in verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, There was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all, in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. We'll stop there. Again, a tremendous text where the, uh, the men who are in power here, by law, they can't actually do anything to punish these men without first issuing a warning. 
So this is the warning. If you know the, if you know your Bible, if you flip over a couple of chapters, they're going to get apprehended again, and it's there where Peter and John get scourged, or they get they get flogged, and they leave rejoicing that they were able to suffer for the name. You know that story, yeah. right? So that's actually, hey, we gave you a warning to stop, and they didn't. So then they got the punishment. So here they're trying to figure it out. They're even trying to you know skip around their own law, like, man, let's punish him now, where really they they weren't even by their own law able to. So they're like, you know what, we can't do it. And they're so conscious of stirring up the crowd and losing power. They say, you know, all these people are excited about this. Let's just tell them stop. And, I, and Peter could have just said, okay, or no, we're not going to stop. But he just doubles down here. Like, we can't help it. And you be the, he just flips it back on them. And that's the, the beauty of, of what happens in our lives when Jesus really is Lord. And when we are secure. And when we know who we are. And I appreciate... You know, Nicole and Greg, as they the Spirit worked through them this morning, is that really our identity, as who we know who we are, based on what Christ says about us, that changes everything for us. Yeah. It, it makes us unstoppable. It makes us, you know, unable to be rattled. It allows us to look at men in the right way. Like, you're just a man. You're in authority. Authority, sure, I will respect you in authority. But if it comes in in contradiction to my God, well, who are you? Yeah. Who are you? And I love that here. So we're going to learn so much in the book of Acts as to who we're meant to be in Christ. And we're going to be inspired by these men and women who live out their faith. But to look at their example and not know what they knew would be to shortchange yourself and for you to become a man or a woman of duty only. But in the gospel and in Christ, duty comes from identity. And duty doesn't become just uh, something I got to do. It's something we're excited about doing because we know who we are, we know who we've become, and we know what our purpose is. So if we get those flipped, we're kind of like, ah, you know what, I need to do what Christians do, I need to do things that Jesus does, I need to be a good disciple, but you don't have a rooted identity in Christ, you're on the highway to burnout. You're on the highway just to duty, just doing stuff, and at best, you're doing it to get a result, right? We've all been there. And if it doesn't produce the result, then why am I doing this? But if our identity is unshakable, if we know who we are and we know the promises in which we believe, then the results are just icing on the cake. Because here the end result of Peter and John was getting flogged. How many of us would say, yes, (laughs) they got the result I was hoping for. And if it's not our identity, if it's not, you know what? I can't help but being completely obsessed with what I what I know about God and what He's shown me. If that's not where we grow and deepen and strengthen our, our hearts and our convictions and our minds, then at best you'll work yourself up and do some Christ-like things from now or then. But you only do it until you get the result or you only do it until, you know what, you're tired of doing it. So none of us want to have that type of life. None of us want to do things, you know, just kind of to do them, to keep up appearances. And definitely none of us want to just go around our lives working ourselves up every day to be like Christ. It doesn't mean we won't be intimidated. It doesn't mean we 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 won't give in to fear from time to time. But it won't shake us. And it won't be your ability or my ability to, to be humanistic in the sense of how we're doing. Amen? So boldly know, boldly go. And the first idea we're talking about is boldly knowing. And 
you know, we've got to know what Peter and, and John are preaching here, that they're, as we talked about last Sunday, we've got to boldly know. The first thing we've got to boldly know is there's no other way, right? You were here last Sunday. That's kind of where all this is, is looping together. There's no other way than, than Jesus. There's no other way in which men under heaven can be saved. We've got to boldly know that. Because if we don't boldly know that, we're wishy-washy, right? We're pushed around by every wave of teaching, every every rebuttal, every every thought, every uh, relativistic you know term that comes our way, postmodern thinking, our jobs. We're we're wishy-washy. We get pushed around if we don't boldly know that Jesus is the only way. To double down this idea that we talked about last Sunday, that Jesus is the only way, I want you to consider what Peter talked about earlier in his sermon about Jesus dying for us. You know, we share that every Sunday that Jesus died for us. But if that's, if that should help us to know the fact that Jesus died the way he did should help cement the fact that that was the only way. Consider Gethsemane. What did Jesus pray about before he was resolved to go to the cross for us? God, if there's any other way, let's do that. Is there any other way? And there wasn't. So if there was another way, I think God would have given it to him there. But God said, you know what? There isn't. There's no other way to redeem these people, you and I, than for you to be sacrificed. There's no other way for holiness. There's no other way for identity. There's no other way for real change than this way. But if we get influenced... If we get pushed around to think that there's another way than what Jesus shows us on the cross, then we've just got to start thinking about God differently. Yeah. Because if there's another way other than Jesus dying on the cross, God's a monster. Why would God have his son be butchered if there's other ways to do it? If there are other ways to God, if there's other ways to salvation, why would God say, okay, yeah, I know there's another way, but let's, let's, let's do this one too. This will really get their attention. There's some other things that people can choose, but how about this one too? I mean, that's just brutal and disgusting. Yeah. So if we start to believe, yeah, all ways lead to, all ways lead to God, but there's this Christianity that has a, that has a man butchered, his, his back shredded, hanging by his waist, all this stuff bleeding out, his heart literally giving way, if that's just an option, then Christ, the Christian God is is a meanie. <laughs> he's a monster. Yeah. And he's cruel. But the truth is, there was no other way. And that's a way for us to double down, to be to boldly know, there's no other way because that's the way Jesus died. And if there was another way, God would have given it to him. But that message pierced the hearts of those who heard Peter preach, now twice in the book of Acts already. And people knew that to have a God die for us, to have a God do that, that this produces so much so much truth, so much earth-shattering reality for them, so much transformation, so much mind-boggling truth. Like, how could this all be that these men and women wanted to know more and more and more? You know, they saw this miracle, but the miracle was just a stepping stone to hear the message. You know, that's always the case when it comes to challenge. This text in Acts 4 reminds me of one of my favorite texts in John chapter 9, where there's a man born blind. 
And the disciples early on are asking, Jesus, why is this man blind? Who sinned? Him or his parents? You all know that story. And Jesus tells his disciples, you know, neither. But this man was born this way to show the working of God in his life. That these miracles, these transformations, these signs, they're not to be celebrated alone. They're meant to be stepping stones to hearing the message about the cross. And yes, it got their attention. And yes, people wanted miracles, and we want miracles without the cross too. We like the healing without the transformation. We like the healing without the following. But for us as disciples, and Greg shared about it in, in his communion and contribution messages, that the way to boldly know and the, the way to real change, to bold change, is the cross, is the gospel. And it's the only way that we're really going to get healing. Yeah. You know, the cross, as it confronted them, it confronts you and I. It shocks us. It unsettles us. It flips our worlds upside down. But what it's meant to do is for us to look and stare and wonder at the grandeur and love and grace of God. And that's got to win our hearts over. If the cross doesn't win your heart over, nothing will. No great community in Christ. No fantastic events. No worship. No superior organization of the church. No friendships. No disciples, one another, you know, spurring you on. No perfect discipling. No faithful minister. Nothing's going to do it for you. And I love what Nicole said. People will disappoint you. And if you haven't been disappointed, you will be. And you will be disappointed, dare I say, by the body of Christ. Because we're all messed up. And I've put my hope, and I've put my desires in men for far too long. I've put them in my own ability, my own ability to perform, my own ability to lead, my own ability to see things happen. And it's all shifting sand. But the only way to real change, the only way to really be bold in what we know is that God loves us more than we'll ever know. He loves us more every day. His, his thoughts for us, as, as the scriptures say, outweigh or outnumber the stars on the sea, in the sky, in the sand, on the seashore. No one thinks about you more than God does. And that grandeur and that grace and that love is the greatest love the world will ever know. And Peter's preaching about that to this crowd. There's no greater love. You killed him. We unearthed him. We, we, we built on other things, but even still, he wants to give us salvation. That's what last Sunday was all about. Jesus has to be so eclipsing that he really is the fulfillment and meaning of our lives. That what Jesus says about us, what promises God gives, that's got to be our greatest, greatest joy. That those truths have to inform us every day if we're going to boldly know. You know, we've all tried different things. You know, I've, uh, I'm almost 40 years old. I'll be, I'll be 30, uh, 38, I guess, now. But in 38 years, you know, I've, my son's going to middle school in sixth grade now. And, you know, sixth grade, middle school, fashion starts to change a little bit. And uh, just the other day, Cameron comes home per pretty distraught that he got made fun of at the, you know, this makes me just want to run into the school and punch kids uh, that are 10 years old, you know, and get sent to jail. You're like, what'd you say about me? Anyway, I'll just send Rolando. <laughs> He's our team minister, man. Take care of him. 
I don't know if you'd be any help. We just both, we probably worked it. Yeah, that's hard. Anyway, but uh, someone was making fun of his, uh, he's wearing Marvel, you know, which I thought was still cool. We thought so when we when he left for the school. But he was getting made fun of about his Marvel stuff. And he comes home like, hey, Dad, I'm done wearing Marvel stuff. And I was like, what do you mean, buddy? He's like, ah, he's getting made fun of. People were kept making fun of my Spider-Man shoes, which doesn't have Spider-Man shoes. They're red, red Nikes, but they have, like, kind of a webbing-looking thing. So anyway, you know, kids. And uh, he's like, I'm not wearing that stuff anymore. And I don't think he's worn it since. No, just at home. Just at home. But these fashions, I remember telling him, it's like, you know what, Cam, when I was in seventh grade, there were there was this thing called Jinkos. <laughs> and there were these real baggy jeans. And when I was in seventh grade, if anybody could see any part of your shoe, any part of your shoe, you're a loser. Like you're a complete idiot. If you could not, if you saw any of your shoes, so these jeans were like bell bottoms on steroids. They literally engulfed your shoe. And if your feet were together, it looked like you were wearing a dress. But that was cool. That was the skater culture, surfer culture in Virginia Beach. And if you were wearing jeans like all of us are wearing right now, you're on the bottom of the totem pole. You get chased out of school. If you wear your socks, and that's the cool thing now, is that your jeans are kind of hiked up three inches above your ankle to show your socks. If you walked into Princess Anne Middle School back in 1996, you might be murdered. <laughs> but I was telling them, I was like, look, fashion comes and goes, man. And I've been long enough that stuff that was what's cool back when I was a 10-year-old is now coming back and it's in the high schools and the colleges. So the point is, is that this stuff is shifting sands, bud. And I've tried different fashions, okay, this is the cool thing to do, this is how I'll feel a bit affirmed in society, I'll wear this. I'll wear, the, oh, this is what the dads in the neighborhood are wearing? Oh, and this, it just passes, comes and goes. Certain jobs are cool back in the 90s, now they're not cool. Oh, I gotta get a new job, this is the cool job to have, this is the hip job. I gotta get this degree. This is what it looks like to have great friends. This is what affirms, this is romantic, this is whatever, everything changes. And we've, if you've been long enough, you've known new things, just come and go. It's cool for a moment, made you feel like you belonged, and then, you know, six months later, you're like, I'm behind. And we've all been there. Whether it's your waistline or whatever, it just, everything changes. Life goals, you name it. We, the point is, we bank on things to affirm us and, and tell us we've, we've made it or we're arriving or we've got it going on, and all that will disappoint. It can't be anything other than the love of Christ displayed on the cross. You know, C.S. Lewis has a series of the Chronicles of Narnia. You guys are familiar with that. There's a little boy who reminds, reminds me a lot of myself. His name is Eustace. I believe this is in the second one. And uh, Eustace desires more. He's kind of a rotten, greedy kid. He's never satisfied. Is it the fourth one? Awesome. Fourth one. It's important. Thank you, Xavier. So he's kind of right. He's got greedy dreams of just wanting more and excess and, and having different things. And all of that is with the hopes that, you know, he'd be something, that he's got something going on. And in these greedy dreams, he actually wakes up as a dragon. He wakes up covered in scales that are symbolic of his own ugly soul. And he's shocked, as any of us would be. And he starts to dig through the scales on his arm. And he gets through a couple layers, but he realizes there's no, this is going to take forever and there's no turning back from here. 
And as someone who's self-reliant, someone who wants to kind of shirk this and get on with his life, deal with his fears, deal with who he is, he eventually goes to Aslan, which is the lion, the Jesus figure in this in this story. And if if Aslan gave back what a lot of us seek in the world, which is affirmation from people's thoughts about us, this man, this, this Eustace, this boy is in deep turmoil about his new state of affairs. And he goes to Aslan, and what if Aslan gave back to him the lot, a lot of the same, you know, a lot of the same things that we go for to get our affirmation? What if, what if Aslan just showed him an Instagram post about how great he is? Like, you're great. God, golly, people like you. Oh, thanks, Aslan. No, no, really. You're great. You're great. Look, this even has a, it has a movable thing that says you're great. <laughs> or what if Aslan said, have you checked your Facebook page lately, Eustace? People love you. Look at all the likes. People love how beautiful your family is. People think you're awesome. You're awesome. By golly! And he's like, okay, it's not really dealing with the scales here. Oh, I got something else. Like, just look at me in the eyes. I love you. You're fantastic. I'll never leave in the romance, per se. I'm here. You have me, a relationship. Okay, now we know this is a Jesus figure, but this kind of sense of, all right, I've got someone that believes in me. Someone that thinks I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread or bagel bites. <laughs> Eustace would start to be irritated by the shallow affirmation that he would receive from Aslan. Yeah. And if we're honest, those are the things we chase after when we're feeling low. Feeling down? Okay, I'm going to get a new outfit. Okay. Someone said I look handsome today. Oh, nice. I feel better now. Oh, I'm going to go work out. Okay, good. Feel a little bit better now that I got, you know, burned off some LBs. Oh, got a new job, got a promotion, feel a little bit better. Again, these are just shallow, temporary things, but you and I run after them, if we're honest. And Jesus and what he says about us is kind of our backup option when everything else has kind of run out. But the, the beauty here is that Aslan doesn't give them just fluffy stuff, temporary stuff. In the movie... He starts to rip out, he actually bears his claws. And Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws, as you and I would say. The very first tear was so deep, I thought it went right into my heart. And when he started to peel the skin off, it, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Jesus says, I know what you need. I know what you really, really need. In this way that it needs to happen, it might hurt. Yeah. The way of real transformation and change, real identity, real affirmed, that's unshakable, it's going to hurt a little bit. It's going to transform. Transformation isn't just easy peasy, easy believism. It's going to take some pain. Right. And for any of us who want to be disciples, you know what? It is challenging. We do need to say no to the world. We do need to stick out, not because we're looking to. We just will. Yeah. We do need to change our lives. We do need to grit and say, you know what? These things are getting in the way of my true identity. I've got to do without them. 
you know, new friendships, new scenarios, new new circumstances. We got to seek those to really know Christ. Eustace says it's smarted. That's it's the English thing. It's smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, perfectly delicious. Just for a moment. But what lasted, what was left in return, was perfectly delicious. I'm back and better than ever. I'm not just returned to the little boy that, you know, had human skin, but I'm a little boy who's been regenerated and has a depth of understanding of who Aslan is, who this Jesus is. And that's what Jesus offers us in this only way. For us to boldly know this, that what Jesus offers is true healing, a path to life. And the truth is, the world might not like the path to get there, but it doesn't change the path. We might not like the path, but it it doesn't mean it's not the path of real healing, real salvation to go where you want to go, even though you didn't know it. Some of us here online, you have hesitations, doubts about this whole Jesus thing. I can't get past his exclusivity. I can't get past, you know, the religious history. I can't get past Catholicism and the Crusades. I can't get past what happened on the sake of Christianity. I can't get past these things. The truth is about Christianity and the world religions is that all the Crusades and all that kind of stuff that hangs up a ton of people, they had to compromise so terribly to do what they did. But those aren't representations of what Christianity is. Maybe the doubts and hesitations of the body of Christ, like, ah, these people, their hypocrisy, the hypocrisy is just bleh. It's not about us. It's who Jesus is. We know Jesus is accommodating and encouraging and loving, but he offers you a way, a bold way, that brings about bold change. And if we know what he's done and who he is, then, man, we'll boldly know, and that will prepare us to boldly go. Some of us have been beaten down by society, beaten down by social media, you name it, just the years of being Christians. And we're not as bold in our understanding of who God is anymore. But I love what Peter did here. And yes, it's early on, and he's going to have his moments, which is why I love the book of Acts. Peter's not perfect. But Peter doubles down. And he doubles down, not on his own strength, but what people say here is that they, they knew that he had been with Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And for us to boldly know, it really is bringing about that strength and that power that comes from the truth and the Holy Spirit. So it's not our own strength that we boldly go, but take a pause, pray for the Holy Spirit, and then do what Peter did, bring it. God will help you. Bring it so much so, because not to do so, to not know, or to not do what we, or go after what we know, it's treason. It's treason to our fellow man. To know what we know, the deliverance that you and I have, the evidence that's in our lives, to not go to keep this to ourselves is high treason to your neighbors and to one another. You know, Jesus was butchered so that we would have this way. The most beautiful expression that God put before us to tell us that, you know what, He hates our sins so much, but He loves you so much, He's put all that before us. He was tortured for six hours on the cross. Spikes through his median nerves, spikes through his plantar nerves, crown of thorns through his occipital and trigeminal nerves. His heart gave out. He gave out. He was stained with all of our filth. 
He did it for us. He did it so we would have a path to God that we could boldly know and trust. He did it. And to say there's no other way or to walk around tiptoeing in this life about our faith makes us absurd and irrational. You know, some will claim that Christianity is irrational and absurd. To know what we know, to know what Jesus did, to see that historically, to not say anything, to not let that ooze about us and give us true identity, that's irrational. That's absurd. Paul says in Acts 26, 25, I'm not insane. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. Do we believe that still today? When we look at God, when we look at His promises, when we look at passages like Isaiah 55 that says His Word does not return to us empty, we look at passages that say hey, every promise will and has been, has been and will be fulfilled. Amen. We have all that. So for us practically, yeah, boldly know. But I think we've got to boldly search so that we can know. You know, get in your scriptures and look at promises. Get into the prophecies in the Old Testament to see them all fulfilled, not one hits the ground unfulfilled. To reflect on Jesus on the cross, to reflect and really consider the radical changes that the cross has brought you. You know, here we say, uh, here we see rather, what Peter and John say in verse 17. We cannot, or excuse me, we cannot go, verse 20, sorry, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What have you seen God do in your life? What have you heard about God doing in our lives or in others' lives. Consider those promises you can boldly know, but then also consider the identity that God has given you. Also consider the changes that God has has helped us in. Consider the workmanship that Ephesians 2 tells us that He has created in us. Spend the time considering these truths so you can be in the boldly know category. Because once you boldly know, you can't help but boldly go. Boldly go so much so here that you know what? I, I can't help it. I can't stop. And who are you? And he says bold things in front of these people. So our practical today, if I could give you a few. Is to think about what God means to you. What does it mean for God to have died in such a way for us? Yes, we celebrate for communion. And yes, thank you for Greg and Nicole. But their thoughts are meant to just elicit thoughts for your own heart. Those hearts are meant to stir your own thoughts, your own own appreciation and gratitude. You know, think about the things that are undeniable evidences to God's radical transformation. Not just the things you get for being a Christian, but think about the peace. Think about the promises. Think about how so many of us were enslaved to the thoughts of others. How so many of us had boundaries up that we would never cross, but because of the pressure from people and the desire to fit in, we crossed them. And we were left with guilt and shame that was unbearable. But then knowing about the grace and knowing about forgiveness, you were freed of all that. And you can look back at your old life, as John 9 tells us, you know, that all happened so that God's power could be displayed in my life. Yes, I'm ashamed of what I did, but I'm not ashamed of who I was because this is what I now know and am because of God. Think about it. Consider. Spend the time to reflect so you can boldly know. 
Because as Nicole and Greg, I keep sharing about them because, you know what, they're great. They said they were going to be great. They said it before they went into the text. But it's really true. Is that this identity, this identity pushes us. It moves us. It compels us. It forces us. It frees us to go be these secure men and women of Christ. It frees us up from all the shackles, not just of sin, but of opinion and popular opinion and jinkos and tight jeans and fashion in 2020 and 2021. It frees us from fear. It frees us of guilt. It unshackles you to run the race without hindrance. These are the gifts that might not be the shiny car that you hope to get. It might not be the zip code you desire to live in. It might not be the, the perfect marriage with no arguments. Good luck with that. It might not be this relationship. It, not, it might not be the affirmation. It might not be just the sense of you know respect in society. It might not be the fact that you're the, you're the, you're the favorite at your job or you're the favorite even within your own family. These things aren't going to be it for us anymore. And you know what? If a group this small all were truly affirmed in the identity of Christ, and then we all set out with that identity informing our duty, watch out, Roanoke. Yeah. I mean, even just like 50 fully secure people. Wow. 50 people who are freed, who are kind of rise above culture. Not not caring about culture, but rising above it. And then descended out into the world this week. What difference would that make? Yeah. What difference would it make if you boldly know your identity, boldly know there's no other way because the way Christ, Christ died, and you boldly know the promises and how they've all been fulfilled, they, you boldly reflected on the changes that only He's brought. How do you step into work tomorrow? How do you approach friends? How do you approach challenges? You know what? Watch out, world. That's what Peter and John do here. Watch out, world. We can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We can't help it. We know too much. I knew too much to be the same. And today, this morning, as we worship, it's another reminder of who God is and what the way he's mapped out for us and the undeniable evidence he's brought in our lives. So the final practical, after you've thought and considered is to share. Give credit to God this week. Something that you know that without Him, some good thing that we know all good things come from above. One good thing that you know you would never have had without God. Give bold credit to God this week. In a conversation with an employer, with your own family, let me just tell you about what God has done boldly proclaim but that all comes from a bold boldly knowing the identity that God's given us and boldly the way that he's made known to us so we boldly know as a church and we go and we boldly go let it be so that we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard in each other and what God has done in our lives amen amen Amen. let's stand for a final song and we are dismissed